different people will thrive in different environments. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of, we have to realize is that it's, um, it's not a one size fits all that you can say group is better than individual or individual is better than group. It depends on, um, people's goals, mm-hmm. um, and, um, their abilities and the coach and, um, do they have a set thing that they're striving for? And when I say that's really vague, but like if you're trying to peak at a certain time, like these athletes are for the CrossFit games, mm-hmm. or you're trying to get ready for the NFL combine, you going in this GPP class that doesn't have any, might not be the best thing. You need a more targeted approach. Mm-hmm. But if you're a soccer mom or dad trying to get fit, or you're just trying to get you know generally fit for your other sport, the group might be the right thing. <clears throat> so there's no... From that aspect, there's no like um, one size is right for everybody. We are here because we know the outcomes in our lives are within our control. That taking absolute ownership of how we eat, sleep, train, think, and connect with each other is how we'll optimize our health and happiness. That chasing excellence is how we grab hold of what is possible. Our mission is to live on the run, always chasing, never stopping. Welcome to another episode of Chasing excellence. How are you, Ben? Good, Patrick. Today we are going to discuss something that I've been thinking about because uh, we've we've danced around the topic a little bit. We've talked, especially in two minute drill episodes. We've had questions and answers that are related to this, but we haven't we haven't dedicated an entire episode to it yet. And and generally or roughly speaking, the the topic is going to be the role or the value of solo training versus group training, for a lack of a better term, but. Um, both from the athlete perspective and then maybe from the coach's perspective or, or the business mm-hmm. owner's perspective. Um, especially because you've been, you've been, you've spent plenty of time in both of those, those fields, both um, early in the day before CrossFit New England, you were a personal trainer. So I know you've got that experience. Yep. And then obviously experience within CrossFit New England and CrossFit for the last 10 and plus years. So that that's roughly what we're going to talk about today. So I, I really wanted to dive into the conversation with maybe a, a, a broad question, but one that was triggered when I was going through one of, the, one of our recent episodes. And that was, you were answering a question from somebody in the first responder community. And they asked, uh, they asked effectively, you know, what should I do differently? What, how do I do CrossFit if I'm a first responder? And your answer was, well, you do CrossFit as CrossFit was prescribed because yeah. was, it was made for you. Um, and so what it, what it made me think about it was, that the CrossFit within affiliates is actually has to by nature be different than what .com was five years ago because the audience is different. Yeah. So I wonder how 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 do you think about that? How did you think about when you first were introduced to CrossFit? Like how do you get from that to okay now I have to figure out what it looks like when I have uh, I need seven days of programming and I've and I don't know. And I'm going to have a broad range of athletes right. in front of me, and I'm going to have 30 of them sometimes. Yep. Like, how does how does it change from that the the original conception of CrossFit.com to what n- needs to be in an affiliate? Yeah. So um, the major differences are that CrossFit.com is essentially built in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. It's for um, an imaginary person in an imaginary space. When you're creating programming for your affiliate. It's for a very specific space mm. with certain uh, logistical yeah. limitations in terms of equipment, um, square footage, flow. Um, timing even. Timing for sure. And then uh, number of athletes and so on. So 
it's not that one is easier or harder than the other. You're just set up with a different level, a, a different set of parameters that you're working with. So in terms of um, programming for dot com, and let's call it a dot com of you know a couple of years ago because yeah. it's kind of made a change of late. Um, but general CrossFit programming that was published on CrossFit.com that had this vast array of um, skill sets that they were building into you as an athlete. Everything from biking to running 10Ks to swimming to um, climbing ropes and the traditional things that we saw in CrossFit and thrusters, pull-ups, running, rowing, and so on. Well, inside the walls of an affiliate, it's not likely that you're going to take your affiliate swimming when, right. you know, three times, you know, once a week even. You know, it's very unlikely that you're going to program in a 10K because – I don't know about many of the affiliates out there, but if I program a 10K in, like it's gonna be crickets, no one's gonna show up. Um, They're not worried about kind of that, the psychological factor and the response to, um, is this going to be something that they're going to like and show up and continue to pay the bills? So you have this kind of like freedom a little bit to just put it on paper and say like, this is the framework for producing the ultimate fill in the blank, Mm -hmm. firefighter, law enforcement agent, soccer dad, or whatever it might be. In the walls of the affiliate, we operate with a little bit different things. Um, You have to take into consideration that you have to program for every single day that you're open. So you don't have the luxury of having that essential reset day of a rest day, which makes programming a whole lot easier when every third day you get a blank Mm. slate, a rest day. It truly, it makes it a lot easier. Um, When you're programming seven days a week, it changes that up a lot. Similarly, if you um, are setting up a workout and it has um, big sets of <clears throat> rowing, like let's say .com might have like a workout three rounds with thousand meter rows in between each one. You essentially can't do that workout in a big affiliate or affiliate has a lot of classes, a lot, a lot of members in a class because a thousand meter row takes four mm. minutes for most athletes, four and a half. You'd have to gauge five minutes for the slower athletes at a time. You need so many rowers because you're going to overflow the rowers unless you have a rower for everybody. And yeah. most people don't have that. Yeah. So there's a whole host of different um, variables that have to become into consideration when you're programming for an affiliate. Mm-hmm. For some reason, what popped in my head, and I don't know that this actually happens, but it's as though you're writing and you can you can write the music for an orchestra, but until the orchestra actually starts playing it, then like that's those are different things because you write it in a vacuum in one sense. Yeah, yeah. But if the orchestra can't play it, then it's not a good piece of music. It's like a lot of it's like a lot of things, right? Like when you do it. You know, this isn't default.com. It's the right program. Yeah. Like you want your people to be able to run 10K. You want people to be able to do those workouts. You want people to be able to swim. You want them to do these rucks. And like, that's the right programming. It's just that what's right in the vacuum, right? Doesn't mean it's right for your members. Right. Um, And that's why you have to take on these different considerations. And the biggest one for me is, yes, logistics and equipment and stuff like that, but is truly is the psychological factor is when the when the members look at the workout, do they go like, oh, wow, yeah, I want to do that. Because mm. if you have, you can put in every now and then, like maybe you're not a weightlifting gym, but you can throw in grace every now and then. Maybe you're not a running gym, but you throw in like some 800 meter repeats yeah. into a workout. And the, you can throw those in every now and then. And people are like, all right, let's do this today. Yeah. But in, in general, if you go three, four, five days in a row of that, you're going to get some pushback. Yeah. Um, and you got to, you got to, speak a little bit to what the market wants. Right. Now, I'm not saying 
your members dictate the programming. Right. But I am saying like, understand that, that them being excited about the workout is a major factor for the success they'll have from a pure, pure physiological standpoint right. of will they enjoy the placebo effect, right? Yep. I'm, I'm geared up, I'm psyched for this. <clears throat> if you are, you're gonna work harder. Yeah, and you'll be more consistent. Absolutely, right? yes, and absolutely great point, sort of yes. The, is, is the is underlying the most most yeah. important thing. So is, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a big question and I think it's maybe the one that we're gonna try to just dig our way around and through today is, but in, a, in an ideal world, would you be able to, to program and train everybody individually? Or is there, uh, is there inherent value in the format of the group training, the class training, yeah. that, that it's not a, a poor substitute for the right. individual training, but in fact, it adds you know, X, Y, and Z. And, and if it does, you know, what is that X, Y, and Z? Okay, so there's obviously pros and cons to individual training and group training. So let's just kind of like name some of those things, right? When you're um, coaching someone on an individual aspect, it's literally for them. Mm -hmm. Everything is set up exactly at their threshold. There's no need to scale barring some like um, injuries or yep. like overtraining or whatever it might be. But in general, like this program is set up for them to maybe peak at a certain point every day is their their um, psychological and physical threshold, which will yield the greatest results. Dot dot dot. Mm -hmm. Like or like, but wait. The other side of that is if you're in a group, while you're not getting everyone's individual threshold or the individual exact thing that they need, and we can take the deep dive of what that individual thing looks like. Sure. We go even down group program if we want to. Yep. Um, but what you are getting, and I love this, is like Greg Glassman used to say um, when he was, he was a big cyclist after his uh, gymnastics years, and he'd meet these cyclists and he, they'd, be, you know, they'd kind of be talking about a big game about their cycling. And he'd ask him, he'd say, who do you cycle with? And they'd be like, no, no, I cycle alone. And he'd be like, in his head, he'd go, then you're not a good cyclist. Mm. You, 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 you know it and I know it. If you are rowing and coach walks behind your rower, <laughs> I know what's going to happen. To the, I know what's <laughs> yeah. going to happen. Yeah, You're, the times are going to come down. You're going to work harder. If you have people in your class that are at or around your ability, you will push harder. You will work harder. So, as you said, con consistency is the number one factor. Mm -hmm. It's the most important thing. I should say mechanics are the most important thing, yeah. but it's up there, right? Yeah. It's it's. But right behind that is intensity. Mm -hmm. And that's what you get in a group that you won't get alone. People are like, no, no, I push by myself. I'm in the garage and I can push myself. You're either a very special, unique individual and they, they exist, mm -hmm. absolutely. Um, or you're underselling what you could actually be putting out for horsepower and output intensity. Yeah. If you get in a group and put next to you, it's why these athletes PR at the games. It's yeah. like, it's why... Olympic and world records are set at the Olympics because mm -hmm. you're up against other competition. They don't set them in training because they don't get pushed like that in training because they're not in those group environments. Yeah. So what you get in the group that you don't get, so there's the pros and cons, the individual threshold yep. versus that next level of intensity that you get in a group. Also the social, I mean, it's like, let's not diminish that. Of course. The enjoyment and the social bonds that are created through suffering together. There's that saying, you know, um, they asked a military commander, you know, how do you go about creating such camaraderie? Like there's no camaraderie like there is in the military. These are people are paid to do a duty. Mm -hmm. They have a job. It's mm -hmm. just their job. Like they're, 
They're in the military, I get it, but it's their job. Yet these people in their job are willing to sacrifice their lives for somebody else. Like, imagine having that at like company xyztech.com. Yeah. Like, at like Amazon. At Amazon, <laughs> like, you're like the, the, the marketing department is willing to die for yeah. people in finance. Like, yeah. it's just, that's probably not the likely scenario. So how yeah. do they go about creating such camaraderie? And the answer is, you go through hell together and laugh about it afterwards. Mm -hmm. That's what camaraderie, that's how camaraderie is bred. So to create those really deep social bonds that can't be manufactured through trust falls mm -hmm. or um, even conversations or any sort of other thing other than shared suffering, that's a really, really powerful level of social connection. It's one of the big reasons that CrossFit's had this viral aspect to it, back, especially back in the day where people couldn't help but talk about it and share it because they could have this shared thing back and forth. Yeah. That's a lot of power in the group atmosphere mm -hmm. that you don't get if you're doing this by yourself. Do When people criticize the effectiveness of group training, and I'm thinking about other trainers, other strength and conditioning folks, when they criticize group training, is the the value of the intensity and the value of the group what they're not seeing? In other words, do they only see uh, do they only see those benefits that you had mentioned for the individual one-on-one -on -one solo training and discount the, the, all the benefits of what happens in a group? Or are they saying, yeah, I see that, but it's not as important as making sure my eyes and my programming is on that individual in this moment because that's better, quote unquote, better? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, um, potentially. Yeah. Um, I think that if they're criticizing it, it's they might be um, criticizing a coach that doesn't know how to get eyes on individuals in a group. That's true, yeah. So there's a skill set to that, right? Which is this ability to go from the macro to the micro. <clears throat> Can you see the entire marching band, but then also <clears throat> zero in on the tuba player and see what's going on there? And they come back to the entire band to see everyone working in unison together and they come back in to the guy playing the trumpet and yep. then pull it back again. So there's a skill set to that coaching, which is necessity uh, to be able to make sure that people are moving with the proper mechanics and all those things. I will say the mechanics, so those coaches might be right in their, mm -hmm. criti in their criticisms. If a coach is overlaying intensity over mechanics, that's a very valid argument. That's You're putting not, it before the before mechanics. Uh, if they're, they're putting it intensity, I might have misspoke. If they're putting yeah. intensity before mechanics. So again, people in a group and just trying to throw down as hard as they can at the expense of everything else, that's a recipe for disaster. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a lot of fun, but it's gonna everyone's gonna explode. So what you need to do is make sure that you're working at the appropriate, like we mentioned before, it's hard to do, mm. but physical and psychological tolerances of each individual in that class. Yeah. It's why it's harder to coach groups than it is individuals. Like I've done it both. And I, I did it before, as you mentioned, when I was a personal trainer, I moved from there into becoming a strength and conditioning coach, from there to run CrossFit classes, full circle again to working with these elite athletes, mm, that's true. training with that. training yeah. with one-on-one -on -one again. So I just literally walked over from working with Katrin from two hours before this. Yeah. So um, I spend more of my day working in the one-on-one -on -one setting than I do in the group setting. So I'm a minimum two hours, sometimes three or four on the individual side, and I coach one hour a day on the, the group side. Um, so I've seen the pros and cons of each. And different people will thrive in different environments. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what you have to realize is that it's um, it's not a one size fits all that you can say group is better than individual or individual is better than group. It depends on 
um, people's goals mm-hmm. um, and um, their abilities and the coach and um, do they have a set thing that they're striving for? And when I say that's really vague, but like if you're trying to peak at a certain time, like these athletes are for the CrossFit games, mm-hmm. or you're trying to get ready for the NFL combine, you going in this GPP class that doesn't have any, might not be the best thing. You need a more targeted approach. Mm-hmm. But if you're a soccer mom or dad trying to get fit, or you're just trying to get you know generally fit for your other sport, the group might be the right thing. <clears throat> so there's no, from that aspect, there's no like um, one size is right for everybody. Right, right. We've been talking about this a little bit um, as though as though they're they're as though it's one or the other, right? It's either solo or it's group. Yep. I'm curious where, if anywhere, you found value or use in a, a blended model of some kind where an athlete takes, as an example, three classes here at CrossFit New England, and then once a week or twice yeah. a week, they work with Morgan one-on-one on something specific. Is that something that, you know, it's it's a, it's maybe a two-part question. One is, from a business perspective, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Uh, is that sustainable? Is that, does that uh, add complexity that isn't good? And then from an athlete perspective, is that balance or that mixing Getting both, getting a little bit of the, the good stuff from both ends of that, of the solo and the group. Training. Yeah, so we see it in a number of different fashions, right? We see people that every single day come and do the group class and then do a little bit something <clears> afterwards, <throat> right? That's a really common common model inside the CrossFit affiliate. That's essentially what you know that online program that I do called Comp Train yeah. does. You train with the group in the class, that's where you do the Metcon because there's so much camaraderie that then yeah. the extra auxiliary work accessory work is done outside the class on your own. So that's a real- Because that's more specific. It's more specific, yeah, exactly. And it's really um, a very common model inside the CrossFit affiliate. Mm -hmm. Similar to that is what you mentioned is you have a triathlete, Mm -hmm. right? Or you have somebody that, um, um, a division one hockey player that's doing CrossFit to stay in shape three days a week. That's a- that's a that's a terrific model to try to keep some of this baseline fitness mm-hmm. to peak out as well. Um, when they do that, there's there is this kind of like benefits of both sides, right? Mm-hmm. That's exactly the, the the blended aspect is a really nice aspect. Now, whether they have a coach or not, um, it still works, right? And obviously, if you have a coach to meet with somebody three times a week, that's phenomenal. Most yeah. people in CrossFit don't do that because. Um, it's expensive yeah. and they get a lot of the benefit that they do from the class in terms of coaching and they do the extra stuff on their own. But before in my previous world, it was personal training. I met with people three times a week mm-hmm. and um, that's a thing that they did for sure. And they would also do whatever it is, spin class or boot camp class or something else because they get the camaraderie side of that and the push there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, for that blended approach, the kind of, key point there and this is like whether you're a coach or you're an athlete is understanding how to create the programming on your own outside of class Uh, because if you have a skilled programmer that's program they should be it's very thought out so what we do in crossfit although it looks like it's kind of like chaos it looks like it's just like madness it Mm -hmm. looks like now we're going for 40 minutes and now (laughs) we're doing thrusters and Mm -hmm. today we're running and doing swings and it looks like it's just like as long as it's different it's cool right programming um is varied not random and it should be set up very intentionally 
to elicit a certain response. And that is at the baseline level for the macro level for everybody. It is work capacity, work capacity across broad time mold domains. That's our definition of fitness. So that's what we're trying to create is can you lift more weight than you used to? Can you run faster than you used to? Can you run longer than you used to? Can you um, do more pull-ups? Can you do burpees faster? Can you can you build up more capacity in all these different things? That at a high level is what we're trying to do for everybody. Now, there are certain athletes that need to thrive. And this is what you need to do when you're an individual. It's like, um, do I need to just ask yourself the big question? Like, what do I need to thrive at? Like at a really high level. So if I'm working with Katrin, or one of my elite athletes, that's a very different answer than if I'm working with um, 65-year-old grandma. Mm -hmm. That's What she needs to thrive at is very different. We're trying to push off the nursing home and hold her functionality, hopefully gain a little bit of strength and some muscle mass and make her biomarkers better and all that stuff. For Katrin, it's this like elite pinnacle fitness and we have a good idea of what that's gonna look like and we know that when game day is. So what we'll do there is you first create what does this need to look like? Begin with the end in mind. So for a 65-year-old grandma, it's 75-year-old grandma. Right. What's she going to look like in 10 years or 20 years? What's 85-year-old grandma going to look like? And we're going to set up a low trajectory towards the distant horizon to make that happen. No big leaps, no risky moves. I'm just going to try to drip, 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 drip. And over time, over exposures and that consistency play, working with the right mechanics, she will get fitter. And the saying is, we like to, I like to think is, I don't care how fit you are or when you join us, I can get you fitter 10 years from now than you are right now. Mm -hmm. If you come to me and you're 55 years old and you can run a um, six minute mile, I think at age 65, I get you to run a faster mile. Mm -hmm. That's maybe a bold statement on my part, but I feel pretty good about that. Yep. Um, that's what we're going to try and do is think of things in 10-year horizons. When I'm working with an elite athlete that plays a sport, whether it's CrossFit or football, right. that's not- Compressed. That's It's super compressed, yeah. right? It's um, the season opener or it's um, game day. It's the qualifier. Yep. It's the team tryouts. The combine. It's or, the combine, yeah. exactly. So we need to get peaked. So we're going to like take a much shorter approach to that level maybe potentially sacrificing some long-term health aspects mm -hmm. to make sure we're getting those short-term maximized gains because that's what your paycheck is revolving around. Right. And that's what you, forget the money aspect, that's what you're committing your life to and you find fulfillment in. And I'm cool with that. I love it. I've dedicated a lot of my adult life to helping these people peak right. for that moment. If we're going to do that, what we need to do in that aspect is we're beginning with the end in mind and the end again is these different levels of horizons is... Um, from there, we want to figure out what is your strengths and weaknesses and what do you need to be able to do? So we'll figure out from Katrin, okay, you're not good at muscle ups and we're not good at, um, deadlifts. So we're going to build the program around those things. Whereas soccer mom and so on, it's okay. You don't, you having trouble getting them off the toilet. So let's work on some squats. Mm -hmm. Okay. You're, you're a former, um, um, bench presser, so you're really strong in the upper body, maybe we back off that a little bit. And then you raise the year, I don't know if we want to take the deep dive, but you build the year around that, working from the macro on this kind of like yearly periodization in month chunks down into this um, 
you know, jargony type stuff, but you're getting into this, like uh, these meso cycles with these mm-hmm. like kind of like week long chunks and then down in the micro, which is the day type thing. And you're making adjustments along the way based off the results they're getting with progressions <laughs> along the way in terms of those things. So you figure out capture needs muscle ups and deadlifts. You create a progression for the deadlifts and the muscle ups and see how close she can stand. She can uh, stay to the vacuum that you, the, the program you create in that vacuum right, right. and then you're making adjustments along the way and that's where the responsibility i mean i that's the ability of the coach to respond response ability the responsibility of the coach to make those adjustments along the way um maybe just a <clears throat> it's a semantic thing but is when you say progressions is that the same thing or similar to what people consider or think about as periodization. And if so, there seems to be a, a sense from, maybe from from only people who don't program well, that CrossFit isn't periodized in yeah. any way. Is that a false assumption or false belief? Or is it, have you found that it's actually better if there's some periodization inside of a CrossFit Okay, program? so there's two questions there. And just make sure I remember both of yep. them. So let's do the, the, the latter one first. And then the other one, Let's make sure we get that, which is uh, periodized versus, periodized versus progressions. progressions. Are okay. they are they saying the same thing, or or is there fundamentally something different about those two? Okay, ideas? so maybe let's tackle that one first. Sure. Okay, um, a periodized approach. What that means is you're doing things in phases, and this kind of just stems out a lot from like um, like the Soviet Union and yeah. the way they kind of got their Olympic athletes ready for really kind of basic level stuff. Is you start with um, slow strength, the thing that takes the longest to build. So think like deadlift back. Uh, deadlift, back squat, bench press, press, like the, the, the build up this raw strength. Then from there you build some speed strength. So think like Olympic lifting. So now we got this, we got you up to a 400 pound back squat. Now let's turn that into some fast movement because mm-hmm. you have the skills to do that. Now let's try and build you up to a 300 pound clean and jerk. Mm-hmm. Once you get that, then you work on, um, some, uh, some like, uh, um, speed, endurance type stuff. So now can you do that for a little bit longer period of time, depending on the sport? Yep. If you're a football player, it's four to six seconds. If you're a hockey player, it's, um, um, you know, 40 to 60 seconds. Mm-hmm. So, and then from there you go truly down to the sport specific stuff where you're really geeking out about that. So that's kind of like, if you have these like four, you know, um, call it like you take an off. So there's an, there's a recovery period after your competition. And then there's these different phases of training. Those phases is a periodized approach where you're doing something slightly different in each period Mm -hmm. of the training block. A progression means um, there's like linear progressions, which would mean something like um, starting strength. Mm -hmm. Starting strength. So you put a a progression inside of that first phase, Mm -hmm. that raw strength. And maybe we choose starting strength because you're a beginner lifter and the way we define beginner lifter is you can make adaptations every single time you come in the gym. Right. Intermediate lifter would be more on like a weekly basis or bi-weekly basis. And an advanced lifter would be something that makes um, jumps every, you know, two, three, six months, right. something like that. Yep. So if you're a high school athlete, you might be doing something like uh, starting strength, which is a linear um, progression, meaning that you come in on, um, you're going to do three sets of five back squats on Monday. On Wednesday, when you come in, you do three sets of five back squats, you are lifting more weight. Mm-hmm. And that's a progression. Yep. Now, as you get a little more advanced, what you would tend to do is kind of work with a um, 
um, diminishing rep scheme, increasing set scheme, increasing load scheme. I know we're kind of geeking out a little bit here, (laughs) but that's just think of it like we'll start with um, three sets of eight on the back squat. Next time we come in, let's do four sets of six. And then we'll do three sets of five. And then we'll do four sets of three. Then we'll do six sets of two. And every time you come in, you increase the load. Mm-hmm. And that's what we would do there. And in that case, we probably wouldn't be doing Monday, Wednesday, Friday lifting. We might be doing every Monday you're doing the back squats. Yep. Um, there's a whole host of different things, a whole host of different schools of thought. And everybody's gotten different. You know, The Bulgarians with their weightlifting, you just did a ton of lifting above 90%. Mm-hmm. The Soviets did a little more like crossfit-ish like mm-hmm. whereas it's very is very systemized but it was um kind of like uh volume would go up volume would go down reps would go up intensity would go down yep. like it was kind of this like all over it looks like if you looked on paper it looked like it's all over mm-hmm. but they're purposely like undulating volume intensity and load throughout their program yep. and that's how they create their progressions um another which way might be like and you can do it with anything like handstand push-ups like maybe you can do um, 10 unbroken handstand pushups right now, and you want to be able to get to 21 unbroken. So a progression would be, let's start off with five sets of five with a two-minute rest in between. Then the next week, as I said, let's go to four sets of six with a two-minute rest in between. And then let's go to three sets of seven with a two-minute rest in between. And then two sets of eight. And then one set of 10. And you get, I'm, I'm sorry, that was a bad, because we want to build you up to 20. Yep. That sort of thing. But that's a progression. So it's different than a periodization. Yep. The second question you asked was? Um, is is the fact that f- people don't believe that CrossFit or CrossFit done well is periodized. Yes. Is that a mistake in our understanding? Or is it just that it wasn't, it's not built into the, the idea or the conception of CrossFit? It's purposely not built into the idea because what we're trying to build is a constant ready state. So what CrossFit.com and CrossFit at a kind of blanket statement program is, is you don't know when the fire is going to come. You don't know when you're going to war. You don't know when you're going to have to um, climb the mountain to dot, dot, dot. You don't know when. So what we want to do is put you in this constant ready state. So we're not trying to peak for anything at any given point. Instead, what we're going to do is we're just going to kind of keep you always just kind of like on the knife's edge, Mm -hmm. always ready to go. Um, In that case, it makes no sense. Like if you're a Navy SEAL, and you have a beeper on your yep. on your waist and you're like sitting there and you don't know when you're going to get the call to have to like jump in a plane and now you're parachuting out of it, you know, 36 hours later to go into a battlefield. You're like, whoa, 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 no, I'm in my slow base build phase. <laughs> I, I, can't, right. I can't go right now. Right. So what we're going to do is build you in this like a different type of approach purposely yeah. in a constant ready state. And periodization makes no sense for those athletes. Okay. What's athletes or whatever you want, like yep. professions, people. What's interesting is life mimics the first responders and the special forces way more so than it does the elite athletes. Mm. The elite athletes are the ones that need to be ready on game day because they know when game day is. A regular mom, a regular dad doesn't know when that is. You don't know when you're going to have to swim out because your child fell in the ocean 200 meters off and they got to pull them back, like whatever it is. So let's keep those people in a constant ready state. So it's, um, it's intentional. Um, it's not a misunderstanding that is, um, by design, whereas sports specific programming by design is, um, does not follow the same program. Got it. Uh, to bring it back to the <clears throat> conversation about solo and group training a little bit, you mentioned it, but I want to, I want to focus on it a, a little bit more. 
the folks who the folks who are right for solo training, what makes them right for that versus if 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 the, the individual walk into you and say uh, into your gym and say, I'd like to do some solo, like I'd like yeah. to do some one on one training, however, however that would work. Is there a, is there a, like, how do you get to, okay, you're actually, you're right. You're, it's appropriate that we do some one-on-one training versus actually, you know what, once I explain what we do here, you're going to see that group training is, is actually yeah. perfect for you. Is there a way to like, is it for the people who have a specific goal date aim? And then everybody else is like, no, actually yeah, group training is going to be more beneficial to you. Or is there more nuance in there that I, I don't, don't think there's much more nuance. I okay. think that's pretty, I think you pretty much nailed that. Okay. If you, um, if you have a specific date where you need to be ready for something, um, particularly if it's really important to you. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying like, um, I have a wedding I want to get ready right. for. Like, that's not like a performance type thing. Um, then it's either that or you're trying to achieve a certain skill set, right? So um, I, I, I can't do muscle-ups. I really need to be able to do muscle-ups. Well, or handstand walking, or I really want to be able to clean and jerk 300 pounds. In our regular class, because you're not going to get the exposures or the attention to get you that much farther along in a shorter period of time, if you really want to get muscle ups, but you have no like, it's like you're like, dude, I'm cool if I get it like this year. Yeah. Then yeah, let's jump in the regular group classes. We do muscle ups every couple of weeks and we'll see how they go and we'll work on that in a way to kind of, and if we're, you know, six months in and we don't really see what we're doing, then we kind of like dose it deeper with some individual stuff. Mm-hmm. Um but if you know if if you're like, hey, I have I'm, I want to get ready for regionals. There's no more regionals right now. But <laughs> if I want to get ready for this competition yeah. and I don't have muscle ups, like doing the regular class would probably not be the right thing. You need some one on one attention to get that. Yeah. Similar to what we already talked about with the predetermined date of like the NFL Combine yeah. or CrossFit Games. Yeah. Got it. Flipping flipping the conversation around just a little bit to <clears throat> not the athlete but the coach. Have you found in your experience there to be Certain coaches that have a a unique skill set that makes them more that makes them a better coach for one on one sessions or one on one individuals who want one on one training versus group training. And same question for the other coaches. And maybe the question is, what are the skill sets that yeah. make a coach uniquely uh, not qualified, but uniquely effective as a as a class coach versus a one on one coach? So the the an approach that we kind of use to analyze this would be like what are the approaches what are the 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 skill sets necessary for coaching mm-hmm. and then let's, let's talk about which ones kind of swing which way so a coach needs to be able to the really basic level is to see and correct can they see faults in human movement and have the cue sets to help improve them well in a one-on-one setting that's a lot easier right because you have just one thing to look at in a group setting, you have to work at 20 athletes, <laughs> which is much more challenging. And it can yeah. be the type of thing when you first start doing this, where you're looking at the marching band and everybody's moving perfectly and everyone's in sync. You're like, oh my God, it's a beautiful, beautiful orchestra. It's like, yeah. it's just flowing. It's like poetry. It's like art, perfect choreograph. And then you like, but if you're able to zero in on one, you realize that the the tuba player is actually crying and has his fly undone. You know, you're like, okay, that's like now I'm going this micro thing. So there's a different skill set necessary um, for that seeing aspect. Then in the correcting, it's the same type of thing again. In the correcting thing, 
if you're working one-on-one, it's like, let's pause for a second, slow it down. Okay, show me this from the hang, where if you're working in a group setting, you don't have that liberty because if you're gonna geek out with that one individual, you are leaving 19 other athletes high and dry. You have to very seamlessly be able to go from the macro to the micro and right back to the macro without letting the group, the macro, let them without letting them know you've deviated. Right. That's a really, yeah. really special skill set. Yep. Um, so I would say that from seeing correcting standpoint, um, it's harder on the the class side, but you also don't need to get as geeked out in yeah. detail because all you need to do is find the major faults. So if you're working with somebody one-on-one and they generally look good and you're like, you're cool. Like that's not what they're there for. You have <laughs> right. to be able to dive deep. So working with Katrin, it's like, okay, got it. Like yeah. you're, 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 you're snatching 205 pounds. That's phenomenal. But like, okay, is she um, missing the pockets in the, you know, in her pole? Is yeah. she, um, is her, is, um, is she pulling the bar in um, as she's passing the knees or is she pulling around? The, like there's so many, like it's a weight transfer on her feet appropriate is the, you know, you get it. It's like, yeah. everything's gotta be super dialed and nuanced. Um, from there, the, another one is teaching. So if you're teaching to a group versus teaching to an individual, what you need to be able to do in the group setting is be able to try to um, hold the attention of a group of people. Whereas the individual, there's a lot more of like an empathetic play. Mm-hmm. Whereas the um, group, you're more of like a presenter or a stage performer. You have to be entertaining and inspiring. Mm-hmm. You have to be up there and like basically be an orator to get people to like buy in and want to listen to you. When you're in a one-on-one setting, it's much more about that empathetic thing of like, what are, what is this person feeling? Is the yeah. message I'm giving sinking in and coming back to me? And the whole time talking to that person, I'm not even really worried about the, the words I'm saying. I'm going to reformulate them in real time based off the body language yeah. that they're giving back to me. Yep. If they're head bob- like you are right now, if they're head bobbing, if there's eye contact, then it's like, good, I got it, I can move on. If not, I'm going to reformulate my words to see if it sinks in a different way. Yeah. So it's a totally different skill set there another so we have seeing correcting we have teaching we have managing groups that's mm-hmm. obviously unique for the group setting it doesn't exist in the individual setting mm-hmm. um you have demoing that's a little bit different in terms of um an individual versus um a so you have to demo movement you have to show them because not everyone learn yep. is a visual learner um you have to show them if you're gonna show a group of 20, you have to realize how much more time that takes to pull in 20 people and talk to 20 people versus Mm one-on-one. It's, let me grab that bar real quick. See, this is what a hook grip looks like. Boom. As opposed to like 20 people, it's like, guys, come on over here. Grab them around me. Let's get you guys behind me so you can see what I'm doing with this. See how I wrap my thumbs around it? This is a hook grip. Like, no, Jim, over here. Come over here so you can see what I'm (laughs) looking like. That's everything. Yeah. Um, And then there's um, presence and attitude. Mm -hmm. And presence and attitude, It's kind of like similar to what we just discussed, but when you're in that one-on-one setting, your presence and attitude is basically like, how are you connecting with that person? It's your, it's the connection. It's the, are they, um, do they trust you and all the rest in a group setting? It's a presenter. Mm -hmm. You're on stage and can you, you are you, are you big enough? Yeah. Are you big enough to be able to hold the attention of a crowd? Mm -hmm. Not be someone that you're not just you on a much higher level. Are you entertaining, educating, are you inspiring? Um, are you um, captivating the crowd? You know, I am not here to entertain. <laughs> um, I don't know if you have an answer to this, but I'm curious if as you as you look forward to the the evolution of CrossFit and CrossFit's growth 
or even just training in general. Can you see a time when you have a young coach in front of you and you say, and it makes sense for you to say, do you want to be, a, are you going to be a class coach yeah. or an individual coach? And if, and if so, here are the skills that you need to develop or here's, here's the focus yep. so that your these skills are stronger than, and, and we can let go of the other ones or just from maybe a, 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 a a business perspective do you do you think that for the now or for the near you know the near future you need to be able to do both yeah and you need to be willing to say i might not be as good at either one but i'm going to be competent at both of them uh, having the skill set to to excel at both is would obviously be right choice number one but there's obviously there's certain um personality and people that will thrive in different environments than others there's the type of person that um, has a hard time being big. They're incredibly good at connecting people on a one-on-one level because they are so empathetic and they are such good listeners. That's a great person for one-on-one setting. You could put that person either just doing one-on-one training or put them in charge of your onboarding process, Mm. your elements program, your foundations program, and have people meet with them one-on-one. And now they're creating this incredible connection one-on-one with that person. Mm -hmm. Whereas the type of person that you put him in a crowd and he's the life of the party, right. but you get him in a one-on-one setting, you're like, ah, this guy's a little <laughs> overbearing. Yeah. Like, I don't know like if this is the person I want to like spend a four-hour car ride with, right. but I would love for this person to be on my debate team. Right. Like that would be a good person for that, that group setting. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely different shades of gray in which it's not one or the other, but people might swing on the pendulum towards one. You could mm-hmm. kind of set people up, double down on the strengths and set people up to succeed based off of where you're positioning them in the business. Yeah, interesting. You, I don't feel like you do it as much now, and by you I mean the gym, but I, I do know that you have in the past, uh, have, have at least more of a blended approach where your coaches would do quite a bit, or quite a number of one-on-ones, assuming that they wanted to, and it was, you incentivize them in, in, in a way that it made sense for them mm-hmm. to sort of dedicate the time to it. Do you still have a lot of one-on-one sessions going on out there outside of the the elements, or is that, uh, receded maybe intentionally or unintentionally over there? Uh, it, it has receded. Um, so back in the day, we used to do a lot more. Um, it receded mostly due to capacity. Mm. Our coaches just didn't have the bandwidth to take on one-on-one clients outside of their um, regular classes that they were coaching and their um, other duties outside. Yeah. outside. So this is the way we kind of, and this may be a, a, a tangent or a segue off of this, but our full-time coaches have other roles and responsibilities outside of coaching classes. Mm-hmm. Most of them coach um, between two and four classes a day, three kind of being the norm, two yeah. or three being the norm of the average. Um, if their other responsibilities are not that heavy, they might coach three or four classes a day. Mm-hmm. If they are only coaching one or two, they have big roles outside of coaching. Yep. That really limited their bandwidth to be able to pull on one-on-one coaching um, in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, I wasn't good at managing or delegating authority, so there was a lot of extra space for these guys to do extra stuff, and that's when they pulled those guys Got it. Um, in the one-on-one world. We're trying to get back to, I think there's a lot of value in one-on-one training. We're trying to get back to doing more one-on-ones. Um, we incentivize our, just full disclosure, yeah. let's kind of do that. Um, I I let our coaches determine what they want to charge for personal training. I don't think it's fair for a number of different reasons for me to say you should charge this. Mm-hmm. Because if I say, I think, you sh- I think you should charge $30 an hour for your personal training, you're like, dude, I'm... I'm worth way more than that. Right. Okay. What if I say you're I want you to charge $200 worth an hour? 
you're like, dude, I, I don't I feel comfortable like, yeah, asking that. Right. So let's let's get rid of both those ends of the yep. spectrum. You ask what you want to ask, and then you take home 80%, 80% of that and the house takes 20 just for insurance and we're giving you right. the clients and the <clears throat> facility. You know, it's a really, really, it's one of the best um, um, profit shares I've seen yeah. um, as opposed to people that are just like, you're building your business inside of here and I get that. Right. But it's, um, there's a reason I want to incentivize people to be able yeah. to do that, that want to, that want to do that. Yeah. And that worked for the time until it worked in the time until we didn't have the capacity to do it. And then I compensated people otherwise for the other roles and right. responsibilities they were doing. But because there's the value in that, I want to get back to it. And our goal is to be doing, um, 40 one-on-one sessions a week as a gym. Got it. We're nowhere near that. <laughs> My last question, I, I I tried to find a place to fit it in the conversation, so it's going to feel a little bit random, but it was triggered um, in my thinking after we recorded the recent episode about recovery and all the different methods of recovery mm -hmm. and, um, and the importance of recovery. And so uh, my question to you is, should you be programming as a gym or should gyms, maybe I won't, I won't say specifically you, but should gyms be programming methods of recovery in the same way that they program methods of training, given your contention that we get, we break ourselves down when we train and actually yep. we get stronger when we recover. So is there, is there an opportunity in there to elevate the overall training by, by forcing people to recover in whatever yeah. way that a gym can appropriately do that? Yeah. I love the, I love the, the thought of it. Um, I, really it'd be it'd be a cool thing to implement um here's where i would kind of draw lines if you're working with an athlete one in the one-on-one -on -one setting you should be prescribing recovery just like you should be re prescribing nutrition mm -hmm. you should be prescribing sleep and you should be prescribing dot 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 like let's try to take control of all mm -hmm. of the facets that are going to make them healthier more productive fulfilled human beings why would we leave one of those things off the table right. and, it could, and you're building this relationship with that athlete but in the group setting, if there's such a spectrum of um, recovery needs, so if you you have athletes in your gym that are taking your class, then doing comp train programming on right. top of that at a really high level, they need a lot of recovery. But then you have athletes that are showing up once a week. Mm -hmm. And them coming in that once a week is pulling... Yeah. Tooth, teeth and nails, yeah. whatever that saying is. Like, yeah. is that the saying? Tooth and nail. Tooth and nail. Yeah. That sound weird because like, it's multiple <laughs> I don't athletes. know what that saying means, yeah. but, but yeah. It, yeah, that's a brutal, <laughs> brutal saying, right? So for you to then go on top of that and prescribe recovery protocols yeah. as well, like, man, I just did like, I thought I, I finally got myself in the gym three times a week and now you're saying I'm going to spend another 30 minutes outside of this on recovery... It's just too big of a spectrum yeah, interesting. for you to be able to cover everything. And I get that everything's scalable, but yep. it's just such a vast array. I think that you'd be better served on trying to um, build a relationship with that person. And um, for the people that need it, talk to them on a one-on-one -on -one basis mm -hmm. above and beyond the class and not lay out a blanket program. Like, by the way, after we're done, everyone jump in the Normatec units right. and then everyone has to take an Epsom salt bath right. and make sure you get your professional body work done. And before work, we're going to foam roll for 30 minutes and we're going to, it's like already you're like, yeah. like what is truly the compliance you're going to see across the yep. board? Like set yourself up for success. Yep. What you say they do. And if you're going to say it and they're not going to do it, you're just discrediting yourself. Right.
Yeah, interesting. Okay, cool. That was uh, I, I, that was good. I actually, I feel like I learned a lot. <laughs> Thank you. Um, we'll see everybody next time. Cool. Thanks, Pat. You can get every episode of Chasing Excellence wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube. Until next time, thank you for listening.